sense. What do you mean? Uh, well, like in Golang, like yeah. it's pretty standard. It's like the C code bases. Like remember when I showed you the Redis code base in C mm-hmm. and yeah. it was like uh, 2,000 lines long, like one file, and that's considered yeah. like the best C code base? Yep. It's that sort of thing. Yeah. So oh, I love files. I love having as many files as possible, as many functions as possible. Because, uh, you know, Bob Martin and uh, Sandy Metz made me think the longest a method should be is three lines. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go into any of these like C, like imperative code bases. And most of the methods are like close to 40 lines, almost all of them. And then mm. only sparingly uh, are there like short methods. Almost never are there short methods. So. Mm. It's going to be a challenge for you to adjust to your way of working, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a challenge. Anyway, welcome back to the podcast. My name Hello, is, everybody. My name is James uh, Apple, and this is Frank Yanelli. Hello. Frank Yanelli. That's a yes, that's me. one word, actually. Yes. <laughs> uh, this is the uh, Unruly Software Podcast, and we're here to discuss uh, some, some random bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> So well, Frank, we do have a list of topics. Oh, a list of might, topics. Well, we might get to them. We might not. I mean, there's no. been a lot happening in the past few weeks. You've had a lot happening. Yeah. For, oh, for me, no, not really. Uh, it's just been waiting. I, I finished up all my interviews. I've accepted a role. Uh, and then other than that, my life's been pretty boring. I've changed um, my primary language, I suppose, because I'm going to a company that... Uh, so I'm going from... Uh, you know, my own like TypeScript app to someone else's Go app. And uh, I've only done Go for like uh, infrastructure and command line tools, which apparently is actually one of the top. So the two top uses of Go uh, I listened to in a podcast is uh, by the Go team is web development and command line tools. So yeah, it's very interesting. So you've covered both of them off. Yeah, I've covered both of them off. But uh, I'm I'm very interested to see how people... Uh, write code in an imperative way and still like uh, encapsulate like their domain logic and don't just have absolute spaghetti code messes, right? Have you seen any of the code yet? No, and I won't comment on it because they'll probably sue me if I do. (laughs) (laughs) This, I think this company is very ambitious, the one I'm going to, so I probably won't be able to talk about what they actually do. So it's very sad. Yeah. Probably best to keep it to yourself. Yeah. But you can just talk in a higher level. I yeah. mean, once you see it, you can be like, so when you're writing Go. So okay, typically Go <laughs> is very bad and never write it, please. That's right. We're going we're gonna to know in a couple of weeks, you're going to be like, yeah, I don't like Go. Or maybe you're going to say, I love Go. You're going to be like, well. Well, I do. I actually really it. love Go when the apps are small. And I think it is yeah. like built very well as a language to build very small, very small applications like microservices. Mm. It makes perfect sense. Super fast, super simple. Anyone, thanks to like Go format and all the like the tools being identical, um, you can drop into any Go code base and understand it. Like, whereas you can't say that of Java. Like if I jump into any Java code base, I'm going to be lost for like a week, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Is there a standard library for Go? Oh yeah, it's very comprehensive. Everything's in it. Um, there's a lot of like standard library p- plus packages that are quite pop popular. Like uh, for example, like there's a built-in HTTP like server 
uh, library, but then there's uh, like the Gorilla suite of uh, packages is is oh, typically yeah. what you use instead. Like there's a WebSockets one and a and a generic like uh, HTTP server one that almost everyone yeah, I've heard uses. Of Gorilla. You have in the Go. Yeah, I have, yeah. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Have you written any GoLang, Frank? I, I wrote one Go server a long time ago. Really? When? Why? Why Maybe would you like ever do that? Because I seen you. You wrote. I was looking at your um, GitHub repository, and yeah. you wrote a a Go gRPC server. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I did. So then, so then I was like, "What is this Go?" So then I just like found the very first. Um, it's probably like a free code camp or something like yeah, that. Yeah, just tried it out. Build a Go server. Yeah, yeah. It's not very hard though, is it? Like, uh, <clears throat> what's actually hard in Go? No, it was good. Yeah, was, I enjoyed it. All the simple things are very simple in Go, but the complex things are hard. <laughs> <I think. laughs> when you have like very complex logic or anything particularly dynamic, there's um, you know how there's like any in TypeScript. Yeah. Uh, in Go, there's interface. Uh, squiggle brackets which is essentially like any type and uh, anytime you do anything complex you are then back to almost programming in an entirely dynamic language because you're just passing around these like interface squiggle brackets and you're like Uh casting back and forth between these like interface squiggle brackets because there's no generics yet maybe this month there'll be generics but uh still waiting on that so I'm I'm very curious to oh, see. So that's how actual actually that's this. an actual limitation in the language then because there's no generics. There's just certain things you can't type out. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, the, the, it's not possible for you to like. For example, if I write a set uh, or a stack, let's say a stack, and I I want to have a stack of strings, I have to write a code generator that writes the stack of strings like before the build and before the runtime. Um, mm. I can't actually just provide string as a parameter to it and then treat it in the same way. Like they, mm. I, I, most of the time you'll have to implement both ends of that method and you won't be able to just pass in strings or numbers, even though the only thing that it's dealing with is pointers to variables, right? Cause yep. it's all, it's just pointers. The only thing that you're passing in really, but mm. go doesn't care. Uh, the designers are very opinionated. So they made some trade offs. Still so. maintained by Google. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, is I believe it's open source. Or? Yeah, it's open source. You can read most of the. A lot of Go is written in Go. A lot of the Go standard library, of course. Well, almost all of the mm. Go standard library, I believe, if not all. Mm. But um, yeah, there's more open source contributors than Google contributors now, I believe. Uh, it's more of a community project. There mm. are still quite a few Google engineers, and the actual repository for the Go language itself, Source of Truth, is on one of Google's, like, uh, their uh, code repositories. So. Okay. Not on Microsoft GitHub. <laughs> no. <laughs> can't trust that big Microsoft. Big yeah. tech can't trust them. But um, so does does Google still use a version of Go that everyone else uses or have they got their own special version that no one else has access to? Uh, no, I think they probably use Go, but they probably have a lot of internal packages and everything. Uh, that sort of stuff that makes ah, it okay, better right. for them to use. I, I think Google uh, from the, so I listen to a lot of podcasts that uh, randomly have Google engineers on and they seem to talk a lot about how they previously used to build a lot of stuff in house and like change languages internally. And it seems like they're trying to limit that more. So they used to mm-hmm. literally have extensions on top of JavaScript that provided typing um, mm-hmm. that they have now had to like 
get rid of and move to TypeScript. And now it seems like uh, they're they're leaning more on open source stuff instead of right. trying to hand roll everything themselves. So, mm. yeah. But uh, I mean, I don't. Open work source at has probably come a long way since when Google first started, but right. Yeah, I mean, r- the old GitHub UI was horrible. So who would even you know want to look at those packages? No. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's actually pretty now with the little the guy on the front page and the globe and the arrows. Yeah. 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 That'll that'll get that'll get Google to use it. Yeah, I think so. Microsoft nice GitHub. There. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So the. So you mentioned the uh, the standard library is good, and I wanted to ask you about this because yeah, tell me, I've been going through like new JavaScript. They're not even new; they're just like feature proposals. To, yeah, features yeah. that have like come of recent. Yeah. Maybe they're not even that recent. It's just that I've become aware of them recently. But um, well, the main one I know is very recent. Is they added, they're adding fetch to Node version eighteen, I believe. Yes. Yes. So it's interesting that um, that's know, not a that's already... not the JavaScript um, specification though, right? That's a that's Node adding a like an addition to their standard library. Yeah. Yeah. Like the TC thirty nine stuff would be like um, the other stuff, like uh, decorators, right? Decorators. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And like the pipe operators coming too. Yeah, pipe operator would be a TC39. Uh, that's the like JavaScript committee that like votes on stuff and says yes, you can come in. So, do you use those? How do you keep ahead of like all these new things coming? Do you just like come across them? And- uh, I have a lot of RSS feeds. Um, yeah. Most everything will be on Hacker News, and then for the languages I actually care about. Uh, and for example, like uh, if I'm looking at my, my operating system, I subscribe to an RSS feed and then I use a little tool called Newsboat and then that like just pings me anytime there's a new uh, article. But it doesn't like send a notification. It just says there's three. So I'll uh, when I get time in the day, I'll just like scroll through and I'll just find like the interesting stuff like the Terraform releases and all. That's sort of how I stay ahead of stuff. I don't really, mm-hmm. I don't really subscribe to too many blogs. The blogs that I I, I subscribe to are like, I've not read any of the articles ever since I subscribed. So, yeah, it takes a long time to read those. <laughs> but like patch notes, yeah. it's so useful, yeah, I, like right off the bat. Patch notes? Like, they're, sorry, release notes. Like release notes are patch notes for like uh, Terraform, yeah. right? It, yeah, if it yeah. says we added this new function, then yeah. you're immediately like that's value and I don't need to read an article about, you know, with 600 words of preface. <laughs> I can just read the, <laughs> I'll read the release note. Thank you. You could have just like retweeted this, I guess. Actually, one bad thing about SEO that I feel in the, in the last few years is that everyone just adds more and more content. Because I know... Um, I think SEO articles get ranked better if they're between like a thousand and fifteen hundred words in length. Yeah. So even if it's something as simple as like, "Hey, there's a pipe operator now," it's like amongst a story of, "Well, back ten years ago, I learned about functional programming." It's and like then, they're trying to write a novel. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a novel. Yeah, yeah. It's like, but they oh, also they need somewhere to keep like the mid mid ads. You know, the ads that show up in the text and everything. So they need like yep. four four mid placed ads. So you yeah. increase your chance of clicking. So they need a story <laughs> to like wrap around that. So yeah, yeah. I, I think I was, I think when we, we were talking about looking up the TypeScript infer operator and there was yeah. like essentially one pair, I looked up a, on Google and there was just mm-hmm. the, the top result was uh, 
one paragraph that was actually valuable, you click into the article, it's like 700 lines on either side of like, this. the info keyword does blah, 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 blah. And then everything else is like, hello, everybody. Welcome to my website. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Online the, the SEO algorithm has trained everyone to, to become novelists. Yeah. Which Not is the opposite of what we want, in. right? We just yeah. want, I prefer, well, like I was in the TypeScript docs as well. I think I was telling you, I was looking for the, infer keyword i came across infer yes i came across a good article like explaining um conditional types in typescript mm-hmm. and then i also came across this cool github repo which had like um like little tests for you to improve your typescript knowledge and um i wanted to learn about specific keywords and i, I hopped into the um into the typescript docs and I was searching for infer and I couldn't find it anywhere. But um, I ended up finding it in the end. Went through it bit by bit. Yeah. Very bad uh, uh, search TypeScript docs. Not yeah. a great experience. The other, actually, you know, one word I couldn't find was, um, you know, there's an in keyword. Yeah. Or in JavaScript. In Well, in TypeScript as well, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, yep. If we're doing, I think it's in the it's in the conditional stuff as well. For a oh oh uh, yeah 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 yeah. That's like in in key, key of, key so you in, can do like yeah. you create a property and you say a is in, key of blah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. But I need I need to work on my googling skills because I couldn't find the reference to in anywhere because it's too small. It's like two two letters. So like, how do I yeah. find like? The exact article. I couldn't find it in the TypeScript docs. Couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah. But um. Yeah, been learning. Uh, been learning a lot about the actual TypeScript type system. Do you know what's um very beneficial? I'll just give you a little hack. Have you ever heard of yeah. cht.sh? Cht.sh. Yeah, cheat shell no? or cheat sheet. I think okay. actually it's cheat sheet. Yeah, I think yep. it's meant to be like cheat.sh, like it's a script you execute. Uh, there's extensions for VS Code and everything, but uh, mm-hmm. whenever I have something and it's a stupid, simple query uh, and I'm programming, mm-hmm. I just type in ch space go space uh, for loop. And then it'll like print out like what a for loop is in Go. And then because I'm a, a polyglot, not a poly- polygamist, um, mm-hmm. like if I go to Rust, I can just type, uh, you know, ch uh, Rust for loop. And then it'll print really quickly, and it 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 goes through and it sorts by like it goes through Stack Overflow and some blog posts and everything, and it's a bit curated. It's quite good. It's a really good tool. Is that CHT. a website? Yeah, it's a website and also a shell script that uh, you can add and a an extension. It's a very good website. Ch, I've got I found it here. Chht.sh. The only cheat sheet you need. It's on GitHub. Yeah, it should look like a. Uh, terminal yeah it's very good here it is yeah unified access to the best community driven cheat sheet repositories of the world yeah perfect how often are you like so for me like writing bash scripts i don't know if you've seen conditionals and bash scripts but like you know how there's like the left so there's like two types of conditionals there's like one one left bracket and two left brackets uh and then like the way that you tell whether or not a file is a symlink is different uh, in every, it's like dash Z or something, which I'm never, <laughs> I, I work in too many languages to remember like dash Z is symlink. 
and like yep. dash D or capital F, you know, all these things. Yep. So like having that is super helpful for like shell scripting and everything, all those sort of like difficult to remember parameters and stuff. Yeah. Cause you know what you want to do, right. And you like, you've almost got it. You just need that little nuanced detail of the exact syntax to put it in there. Yeah. It's a good little workflow thing that cuts down on, you know, when you go to Chrome, you also like, if you come out of your IDE, you, you might also like see your notification tab and click into that. And then you're off, you're off target. If you start searching <laughs> on Google. So yeah, not the best. Yeah. Stay in the, uh, stay in the terminal. Best for productivity. In the yeah. Do not leave. Do not touch the mouse. No, well, uh, maybe if I have to use this Windows computer I was just sent, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got a new mouse now. You've got your swag box for the new job. Yes, and uh, it looks like they've sent me a Dell laptop, which um, I don't know if I'm going to even touch. <laughs> I, I, I need to renegotiate the terms of my contract <laughs> if they want me to turn on and use a Dell laptop. <laughs> I can't even Have get ever- my girlfriend to use a Windows computer. Uh, she she won't get away from Mac, so obviously I'm not going yeah. to. Yeah. No. Have you ever done software development on Windows? Yeah. Uh, a very long time ago, I did Unity and uh, yeah. and Gamebryo, which was C Sharp and C++, I think. Uh, and so I did game development on that. But the experience is so different because it was, um, those are game engines. So it's not like you're navigating only text. You're navigating like a, a, a scene of like cat characters that are like 3D models, clicking on them and then attaching scripts to them. So it makes sense that you wouldn't be in Vim for that sort yeah. of. But, yeah. uh, you know, all of the programming I do now is it's just a, a bunch of files and mm. that's it. So it doesn't make sense. Well, you could run the Windows subsystem for Linux, right? If you really wanted to. I don't like change. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's Look, you're used to what you're used to, right? Yeah. If you're comfortable in the Mac or Linux, just stick there. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, when I went to the boot camp, Oh, when yeah, you had a Windows there. laptop. I had Windows laptop, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, and everyone sort I, of made fun of you. Yeah, they did, yeah. yeah. I rocked up to the class. It was me. There was one other person who had a Linux machine and one other person had a Windows machine. Yeah. And then everyone started and it was so easy. The instructor was like, okay, everyone, brew install. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it was like Ruby. It was or, like one or, line. We had to install Homebrew first. Even the most clueless people, okay. like who had never used computers, got that, like got the first <laughs> yeah. few classes. And then you were like, yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing. And wasn't it like a week yeah. and to, like everyone kept saying like, oh, we're going to help you. Don't worry. We're going to help you figure yeah. out Windows. Yeah. 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 The instructor's like, don't worry. Aren't you glad you it did not like, stick right. with Windows? Oh, so happy. Yeah. It was a, it was a massive, um, like, it was a massive shift in my mindset. I don't know why. It was weird just learning where all the different buttons and the way the windows and stuff worked. But after I got my head around it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is actually better. The yeah. whole time I was like, I was like typing, I had like MS-DOS open. I'm typing brew install Ruby and like nothing was happening. I'm like, I had no idea. I'm just like, um, can someone help me? Yeah, yeah, we'll get to you soon. We'll get to you soon. It was yeah. like a week later. So, yeah, then I just went and bought a Mac. That's a, that's a good idea. Yeah. It's still going strong, but probably need to upgrade to the M1 soon. 
Yeah, I had an M1. I actually have one right here. I have an M1 laptop on my shelf from my, another oh. job from my contracting work. It's uh, Well, there's an issue with compatibility of software, like older tools don't all work mm. um, for whatever mm. reason. They're not built for uh, that like instruction set. Uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, other than that, it seems fast. It seems fast relative to what the actual specifications of the processor and memory are. So mm. maybe it's good. But uh, obviously, I'm not going to use that because that's absolutely proprietary. Uh, like, you have to use Mac, so it's not happening. So Yeah. I use Arch Linux, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Just so everyone is aware. I feel like that was important to drop at that point. Yes, most yeah. definitely. Yeah. But, um, well, I suppose the other thing, you you do like a fair bit of server, you have done in the past, like server admin and, and you're into like running your own infrastructure. Yeah, I've got my even own, running your my own VPNs home server. and yeah, yeah. My, uh, my Tor network and uh, yeah. yeah, my crypto miners. <laughs> <laughs> One of those yeah. is not true. <laughs> But, um, well, you told me the other day you've been getting more into like the home lab stuff. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I'm, uh, I, I've, uh, played around with uh, several configurations. I've got a, a couple different little networks and firewalls set up in my, my home network. Uh, I've got a couple Raspberry Pis running different services, uh, like backup services, media services, that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. And, uh, my VPN stuff. And then also, once you have computers, you have to set up monitoring for all the computers. So I've got like, you know, Prometheus <laughs> and Grafana and all these like other additional tools. Uh, I haven't added like Kubernetes yet to the local environment, but I'm I'm going to probably do that soon. And when I do that, I'll set up like um, uh, actual access to the public internet so that I can, when I'm away from home, still access my, my services that are on this network. So, so what, what are you going to use Kubernetes for? Uh, just running services, like uh, any random services. Well, you need Nginx and probably some, like, I don't know, proxy, like authentication-aware proxy to actually authenticate requests into into the home lab. Um, mm. What do I want to run? That's a good question. There's a there's a GitHub uh, link um, that's called GitHub Awesome Self-Hosted. And mm. most of the stuff that you could buy as a service, you could just run yourself for substantially cheaper if you have the skill set, theoretically. So like... What are, we, uh, what are we talking? Dropbox and stuff? Well, I use one password for everything, but I have to pay money for that. And uh, I'm trusting some random with all my passwords. So I could actually just install a Bitwarden in- instance, which is an alternative password manager, and just use that as my password manager. Uh, for documents, I use like LibreOffice, but I could install... There's a like a document manager. There's also In8In or... Um, node red which are workflow tools so there's like um uh like i so for example if i want to get a notification when a youtube uh uh video is uploaded from someone then i could set up a workflow that when like set up a scrape time and then when a new video is added to that list send me a notification right that sort of stuff Mm. all very pointless of course but uh it's uh (laughs) it's needed right you need to you need to build these systems so that you understand how they work. That's correct. I think it's very beneficial. I've learned a lot um, 
uh, from the whole process. Uh, and I, I spend a lot of time. My brother was initially a sysadmin, cis not like a sysadmin, like the stuff that I do. Um, but like I remember going into his office and actually like uh, looking at servers on racks and like him talking to me about how they cool the entire system, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. I spend a lot of time talking to him about like um, backup strategies and uh, recover like uh, the three, two, one, like backup system. So, yeah, all that sort of stuff. So do you have a physical machine there? Yeah, uh, many. I, I'm, I, or is it um, all just Raspberry Pis? Like, do we have like that's a, a physical you don't have machine. like a yeah i suppose but like i suppose a, desktop, I mean, you like mean. a, a big rack yeah do you have any, like no i don't have a rack or, uh yeah. there's a there's a really good so what i want is low power because the objective is also to be both more private and more cost effective than the the public cloud um hmm. so what i want is low power really uh, so there's the NUC, the Intel NUC, which is a little box. You can hold up to like 32 gigs of RAM, I believe. Pretty good. I think it's an i7 processor in that one. So it's not, it's the power of most people's laptops, but it runs at low power. Um, and it's quite small. It's only the size of like my hands together. So it's a little box and it doesn't heat up. So that's like the, the thing that I'll be running like CI builds on, uh, will, would be that. So I'll set up my GitHub. Uh, action runner to actually run on i'll probably get another nux so two nux and then set them up to run uh the github action runner and any other services i want so So then you set up so you set up a network yeah with these computers yes and then how do you secure it how do you connect it to the public internet how do you secure all that uh yeah well i mean there's a couple ways one would be a vpn in um and then uh, oh man, I can't remember what it's called. But uh, on your actual internet gateway, you can port forward, port forward uh, to a local host. So one of the things when you have a physical network, you like give each device its own IP. So like 192.168.0.100 would be you know your laptop or your desktop, mm-hmm. and then uh, 101 would be your uh, your entry. So you'd you'd set up a port forward to 192.168.0.101. Let's say which is a server which has maybe Nginx or WireGuard as a proxy as a VPN, and then you connect to that. And if you connect to, so I've set up um, what's called like a, a Road Warrior WireGuard VPN at, at most places I've worked, which is you connect to from using WireGuard into the network, and then on the host that's running WireGuard, you. Um, man, I wish I could remember the terminology. I'm not a network engineer, but mm-hmm. uh, you then. Uh, uh, you set up the network address address translation so that it actually uses the, for all IP addresses, it goes through the VPN and then it accesses your local services. But it's still over WireGuard, which is everything on your computer uses it without knowing because it's it's very low level. So it's not like I have to turn it on for HTTP only access. WireGuard like changes all of the interfaces to um, all of the internet traffic on your computer. Uh, and then everything that I would run here, I can now run outside. Uh, would so do you be need option. like a special client on your machine that's outside the network to connect to the WireGuard Wire client? That's it. Yeah. Ah, right. So you just put in the IP address and yeah. click connect, and then like username, password. Is that it? Well, you don't yeah. type in the the. So you need a static IP typically, mm-hmm. uh, yep. and that's set up using something called dynamic DNS D, or uh, yeah DDNS. Uh, so you would have like. Um, inside of your network, you would check what, you know, like the what's my IP address website. Yep. 
you yep. would call something similar to that to determine what your current public address is on your internet gateway or query your internet gateway. And the internet gateway is typically your modem. Uh, for most people, that's what they would think of. Um, and then once you know that, you update a DNS record with that as your public IP address and you connect to whatever that DNS record is. So like mm. uh, something.frank.com. Ah, uh, gotcha. VPN.frank.com. Going through that, I suppose it wouldn't really limit your speed at all, really, because it's just a, a form of connecting to the network, right? And you just be using... It would definitely impact your speed because, uh, well, every VPN impacts your speed because you then have to go through another step, but it's not like another stage. WireGuard is very efficient relative to like mm. OpenVPN and the other VPN uh, sort of low-level providers. Um, yeah, it, it's actually optimized directly into the, I think it's being added directly to the Linux kernel, uh, if I recall correctly. So oh, right. it's, uh, yeah, it's sort of taken the uh, like cryptography world by storm. It's yep. a very good system. So I use that for a lot of stuff. And then if you wanted to connect IoT devices, maybe you had like external, maybe you had like cameras or something, I don't know, that run on. Oh, this reminds me of why I actually did this in the first place, oh, okay. <laughs> which I haven't Perfect. thought about. Yeah. I have a Lovely. little vacuum from <laughs> from Zhao, Zhao, what? Xiaomi, which is a little uh, like a Chinese manufacturer, but they have to yeah. connect to your Wi-Fi to run your automatic vacuum. And uh, as oh, I'm okay. starting to get more and more credentials on my computer and I'm doing more sensitive stuff for work and whatever, yeah. uh, even though I have a VPN, I also want a segmented network where that little uh, <laughs> spyware bot, also like a Google Home or anything like that, I don't want that to have access or even have the capability ever to have access to my computer. Uh, like, I don't know if you know of like... Um, uh, what do you call them, like bot swarms? Um, it's not the right term, but uh, like a lot of IoT devices, like these little fun things like, oh, your toaster turns on um, yep. when you get a notification. Yes. Uh, <laughs> those sort of things. Those aren't very well secured because they're like, mm. they're, they're actually focusing on building the product and shipping it and then, you know, they're trash. Like Security the smart fridges, right? Yeah. So then yeah. those things become uh, like part of a bot farm and then mm. uh, they can potentially access any local net like traffic uh they could try and spoof uh like an, a website internally if like you have the default password on your router all that sort of stuff so uh, i've definitely yeah. taken a lot of steps to secure my local network now as well from those sort of things yeah. but that's why i sort of initially started doing all of this stuff yeah yeah right yeah totally you can't especially like if you're buying a cheap vacuum from some and it was cheap. Know, it was three hundred dollars for an order. There's definitely vacuum. spyware this, in that. I, mean, I know for a fact <laughs> they've been spying on you for ages. Yeah, <laughs> that's that was part of their like marketing strategy, right? Yeah. Like, let's put it at a price point where people just connect it. Yeah. And Get now the CCP can uh, freely access uh, my production database. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's a trade-off I'm willing to make for convenience. <laughs> 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 what about? Um, what about if you want to connect other, like if you want to connect IoT devices yourself and have access to them? Yeah. And they're not, and they don't have access to your network. What's the best way to do that? What if you had like a camera? I suppose well, every IoT device needs internet access of some type, doesn't it? Yeah. So you can give that internet access without allowing it to. So one thing you do is uh, if they're on Wi Fi, most um, wireless networks can 
or even by default, they don't allow you to see uh, other uh, things on the network, uh, potentially, like or query. Mm. Um, there's ways to get around that, but uh, the way that you would set this up would be you could have two or three different subnets or networks. These could be separated by either uh, a router or like a little um, wireless uh, wireless access point. Um, so I have, in my home, I have two networks. One is the one that like the TV is on. So we have a smart TV that like has Netflix built into it. It's mm. on that network, but there's a firewall in the router uh, that goes to my uh, like personal network that will prevent any traffic going out from the TV, for example, or any device in that first network to access my personal devices or even see mm. any of their traffic. Mm. Um and everything going out into the internet obviously is encrypted because it, it would be hitting uh, like you're, you would be under HTTPS or something. Like I would have the, yeah. the exact same amount of risk as if it was bouncing off of anyone's computer anywhere randomly as the internet does. Um, uh, yeah, so setting up those firewall rules, that's essentially it. Block access to the private subnet and then the public subnet. You can put anything on, let guests use it, etc. I don't really care if they hack my TV now. So, mm. yeah, all locked down. Yeah, you need to be safe, right? Now that you you're working from home, Are you, will you still work from home in the future, or is it all office? Or uh, I think they're very, almost every company is flexible now. Flexible, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that's yeah. it. Exactly. More than likely, though, I I really miss. Uh, uh, this is somewhat controversial and uh, every time I talk to someone about it, they have very strong opinions, but I actually miss being in an office and like going to drinks on Fridays and that sort of thing. And like having camaraderie in work, mm. whereas it, you know, it's sort of mostly gone now, which, uh, you know, it's very, it's very isolating. I don't, I don't have like high school friends. Like my only friends are work friends. Um, mm. cause I came here from America, you know, I'm an immigrant. So, yep. <laughs> so, yep. uh, even though I don't look like it. Uh, so I don't have <laughs> friends here uh, by default. So that's that's where I make all my friends. And so without that, you know, very isolating. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, I know. I agree with you. I I loved, um, like you said, the camaraderie and just seeing people like face to face. Something yeah. about it. It's it's just different to seeing people through a computer screen. And the interactions are totally different as well. Some jobs are just very hard to do. Uh, remote and I know people will say oh no but you have like Miro and and all this stuff and I had a conversation <laughs> about this literally yet yesterday an angry conversation yeah. with someone uh and I, yeah I just don't I don't see it like there's no way that you're telling me when we could physically walk up to a, a whiteboard and put a post-it note on it that it's the exact same thing as like people with like you can't even see faces because you're already on Miro right yeah you can't like there's so much about body language that's lost in both a pro and a con, even like interviews. Like, so I just did interviews. It was so much easier for me to do interviews and people couldn't evaluate me probably as well as they could in person. Cause like they can't see that yeah. I'm sweating through my t-shirt <laughs> cause it's remote. So I just like pull the t-shirt back and then it, I'm like not even nervous at all. So, yeah. Well, I think, well, even like um, some of the best work you and I have done, I think is when we're in the same room in front of the whiteboard, hundred percent. Yeah. I, and we it's have easier, we, right? we use Miro and we use these design tools, but there's no way that we've been as productive using remote working tools as physical working tools. Uh, I you know uh, so even before as as mm. one last aside, sorry. <laughs> uh, even before we had COVID and everyone was remote, I would still like 
all of the stuff that was, I would sort of organize my week as like a two, three, like two days in office, three days remote or three, two. And then I would do all of the stuff like camaraderie, meeting with people, um, product meetings in person as much as possible. And then the stuff where it's like hardcore coding, loud music, focusing for six hours straight, I would do all that at home because there's no way you can do that in the office, right? Because you get interrupted. Like there's two different modes as a developer that you work in. And yeah, one of them is always better at home and one of them is always better at work, I think. 100%. That's definitely right. And yeah, there's definitely been times where I've been in the office and you're trying to get the focused work done and you're like, I just wish I was at home. Yeah. And then there's times you're in like a Zoom meeting at home and you're like, Fucking hell, I wish we were just in the same room. This would be so much easier. I know. Can I just point? I'll just point on the screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can see this, right? Yeah. Well, even like um, even like the whiteboard as a tool, and maybe this is like a human thing, maybe it's just me, I don't know, but I feel like holding a pen in your hand just has, uh, there's like a way you can communicate when you're standing in front of a board, like pointing to the things and drawing with your hand you yeah. don't have that mental overhead of like, oh, we're yeah, monkeys, right? So, how do I do a post it note on Miro again? Yeah. Oh, that color's wrong. What's the oh, hockey? No one can see it. That's yeah. like, everything just, every little aspect to that is like a barrier to communication, right? Yeah. Well, maybe if you like use Miro 24 7, you wouldn't feel that way. It, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I sort of get that. But, um, wow, there you go. There goes my brain. <laughs> Yeah, but then then it's like um, like what tool? Because it's all about the team collaborating, right? So like oh, everyone I was, can yeah. point at the whiteboard. Like VR, right? Like even in yeah. VR, it's not it's still not the same. So it's not even just like the gesturing and like being able to. There's a little bit. It, I think VR like whiteboarding is still better than uh, like whiteboarding with a mouse. But there's because mm-hmm. you can at least like look over and if you can see the other person's avatar, you can sort of like see what they're. Like, it's amazing how much you pick up from people's heads. Like, Mm. it's incredible. Like, the amount of information. So, most VR setups are, like, the only thing you can actually see is the person's head moving and maybe one hand if they're doing, like, uh, you know, if they have the cheap, like, the Oculus Go or something. But, like, the amount of information I can pick up about how interested someone is in something how like they're receiving the de- the information, all this just from like the head movement is incredible. And there's so much more yeah. from body that I obviously can't get. Like I can't tell that someone's slouched back in their chair if I'm yeah. even in VR. So that's right. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. Cause you know what the, you know, the inputs, right? So, you know, if someone's looking at what you're doing, they're absorbing it. Yeah. Whereas if you're looking at the screen, you're like, you got no idea if people are following or you're not. Yeah. following you or not and then you can't adjust your style accordingly right you're flying blind yeah yeah which especially as someone who like uh does a lot of technical uh talking uh like i speak in technical terms a lot like the way that i can tell whether or not and i think this is like a very important skill that i i've somewhat picked up is like the ability to watch someone while you're talking and adjust the level of uh, technical jargon that you use based on the confusion on their face. Yeah. Very important, but you can't do that remotely very effectively. Like yeah. the only thing you can do is finish your sentence and then have them say, can you redo that? But like in less jargon, which is horrible. So like when you tell people you want to rip out the GraphQL endpoint, you can get there. Yeah. You can get that feedback straight away. Maybe they won't say yes or no. Like the you second you say, I want face. to rip 
GraphQL, there's like a, there's like a temperature change in the room. You know, we've got pheromones and stuff for sure, right? And like, there must be little things that we let ways that we communicate that we can't even tell, right? So, well, like if you ask someone about their t- testing strategy. And then you see how they react in real life. Then you can be like, oh, this guy does write tests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Always ask people if they write tests in your interviews. That's something that I learned. Because <laughs> what I've learned from a lot of the interviews that I've done, not everyone writes tests still. Um, not everyone knows what they're doing. Uh, and it, it's also amazing how much information you can get like, just by asking questions that they wouldn't expect you to ask. Mm. <laughs> like you can just ask people what the architecture of their application is which isn't publicly accessible anywhere but they'll just spill it nine yeah. times out of ten it's pretty pretty interesting so if you want to know how to architect your startup just do an interview you go apply for a, <laughs> you go apply for a job at yeah. one of the best up and coming ones oh that's how you do it yeah good idea well, i see i see that's fascinating <laughs> i'm just taking notes <laughs> yeah oh no i don't want the job it's fine it's a good strategy well, if anyone's out there and they want their um, system architected, reach out, right? Hit us up on the Discord. James loves... Is that architect- right? He does infrastructure for fun. Uh-huh. I don't <laughs> think it's going to be. Well, I can architect it. If people... I can architect it. I can't guarantee anything, but... Yeah, you did I'll- the actual university course. I'm just some guy. <laughs> You're like a computer science um, bachelor. You're oh, single. I just read the books, but I don't actually implement anything. That's the difference. So. Oh, true. That's what most uh, solutions architects are, right? That's fine. I can just I can just write it down and be like, yeah, it'd be nice to to do this. This is this is like we need Kafka. That's what I'm going to tell everyone. That's uh, wow. You sound a lot like an architect actually right now. That's amazing. It's uncanny. <laughs> is there are, any other maybe Cassandra you want to add? Is that potentially <laughs> Kubernetes? Kubernetes, or, Cassandra, look, Kafka. Yeah, all you do is you add Kubernetes, Kafka, microservices. And GraphQL. Yeah. And then we're done. That's the air gap networks say that. Yeah. And that's, uh, you've got you an architecture. Yeah. You got an architect. <laughs> well, uh, you don't have to implement it. That's what the engineers are for. Yeah. My girlfriend has a friend who, um, is starting her first job out of university as a, uh, solutions architect for a company. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> just r- listen to some conference talks. You'll be fun. <laughs> The, the architecture conference talks are very different to like the developer conference talks, but aren't they? Yeah, well, because the developer ones, they're actually implementing stuff nine times out of ten. That This is my vibe from having watched, uh, what's it called, Strange Loop and like heaps of conference talks on YouTube from like developers, is that the people from Strange Loop describe the perfect system and yeah. then they've never like fully implemented it. Uh, and then in the the developer ones, they're like trying to do the simplest thing possible because they're the people actually building the software. You never mm-hmm. go to like a node meetup and someone's going to be talking about event sourcing. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just won't happen because yeah. it's yeah. not uh, like anyone who even steps down that road is going to like, you know, cut themselves. So, mm. yeah. Whereas the architects, what do they care? They just design the system. And uh, anyway, my bias is showing <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure well, I'm going to meet know. a lot of architects that I'm going to like in the future. So, yep. As long as I agree with your opinion. Yeah. It's just very interesting that we even use the word architecture for software. 
like architecture is for buildings and uh, like civil engineering, where the point is that you build something that like stands the test of time and is unchangeable in a lot of ways. Whereas in software, it's more like cultivating a plant, like, uh, like, and you'll need to be able to like graft other, you grow a fruit tree and you want to graft another fruit tree onto it. And then like, you've still got the roots and everything. So there was like, you've had to think about where to put it and you can't like necessarily, you could actually technically uproot the tree. I think trees are the trees. Yeah. yeah. That's an interesting analogy. Cause yeah. I always thought I always connected the dots as like architecture being like, yeah, we're, we're building the equivalent of a, we're making a building, right? We, we need a foundation and you need your, your structure and then you lay everything out, but you're exactly right. Once the floor, if your building's 12 stories high, very hard to put 13 stories yeah you know it's expected with that with software right (laughs) yeah and 12 stories is pretty tall as well so yeah (laughs) Yeah. expected to start off at 12 stories with architecture with the engineering software engineering and then be like okay let's make it 20 stories it's even your code base like as you go your code base is like literally growing and then like you get the branches and then uh maybe like your little services that's like a different little tree you know and yeah the plant analogy works well doesn't it you've got to graft you got to graft all these different things onto you. You know what the issue is? Architect, yep. very sexy. Sexy word. Mm. I really like the yep. word architect. Yep. Uh, yep. Gardener? <laughs> not. Arborist. Arborist. Software arborist. Arborist is not super sexy. <laughs> like the image that comes to mind is compost. <laughs> the smell of compost. And the weed, maybe you get a few weeds that you need to pull out here and there as well. There's literally weeds in software, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's bugs too, literal bugs. bugs Unlike does it, what arch- viruses, what, what bugs do architects deal with? You know, uh, it really is more like a li- living organism. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's like a living organism. It's not a. As an aside, I stole this from Bob object. Martin. Bar- Bob Martin. I oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, I you <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought I thought we were breaking, forging like new ground here. I thought, yeah. thought we were under. It's something. like a com- well, look. Everything I say is like a combination of something three people have said. So technically, it's my own original idea. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You only have to change something by like five or six. I forget the exact number, but there's a number. If you change something by X percent, then it's a new thing. Yeah. That's like, in trademarks as well. Like In America, if you like ate all of the rich, 1% different, America would be totally different, right? Is this... Anyway. I'm not following <laughs> you, but anyway. I don't know. Speaking of... Uh, you're in your people you get inspiration from or maybe this person you don't get inspiration from i don't know but i was looking at an article on um you know that guy the primogen oh absolutely the youtuber slash streamer i think he works at netflix i wish i could be like him in a lot of ways do you i don't have the like energy that he has like i don't know what he does in the morning energy i don't yeah i mean he's literally high energy like he gets up and he must do he must do lines (laughs) of something i I guarantee you he's too amped at all times yeah 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 but i seen um he done some i don't know if it was a blog post or a little article or whatever but there was like this quote from him and it says that he's perpetually evolving a developed environment for speed efficiency and unobtrusiveness and then that made me think of like the way you attack all your like especially with Vim and all your config stuff, I'm like, my my strategy is zero config. I don't want to spend any time on config. I just want to use the most basic tools, the easiest way. 
But then I think about your style and it's more like you, in your own words, you say like you round the edges off on every like little job you have to do. Yeah. So did you get that idea from Primogen too or is no, was that like Primogen, Primogen's <laughs> new on this field. Uh, I've been oh, doing this since before Primogen, I believe. Uh, ah, okay. The the actual concept comes from the pragmatic programmer, I believe, um, where uh. the, a lot of their analogies are for carpentry, for um, for and woodworking, that sort of thing, for yeah. software in a lot of ways. Uh, and one of their things they talk about is like uh, you should use tools that you can make sharper, not tools that are like as sharp as they're going to be and you can never modify, oh, okay. right? Yeah. Um, and each of your tools uh, should have, you know, different unique purposes, a lot like the mm. Unix philosophy. Um, so mm. based on that, and they, they even recommend, like they recommended either Emacs or Vim or something. So I sort of took that to heart. And, uh, you know, they were talking about how a master of carpentry over the years, like collects their tools are like extensions of their hands. They're not like, they're not just using the same, like, whatever hammer you hand me, I'm going to use to hammer the nail. They have like their hammer that's in yeah. their shop that they're using to, to create mm. that chair. Uh, yeah. And that gives them the advantage of, they know exactly how it feels like they can probably tap uh, that nail yeah. one time to get it into that, into that hole. Right. Yeah. So for me, I see my entire like development environment, my Vim configuration, my operating system is as a tool uh, in mm. the workshop of software that, that I do. Yeah. Yeah. See, my my only concern with that is, this is why my VS Code is totally unconfigured. It's the standard default VS Code. Yeah. Because for that exact reason, how you said, uh, you know, if you're going to use your hammer, you know exactly how it feels. I'm worried like one day I'll lose the VS Code config and then I won't be able to replicate it. So if <laughs> I stick to the standard DS, standard default config... If I, if I go to any computer, I can, like, hop in and start coding. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's pros and cons to my my strategy. My strategy um, has benefited me, I think, heaps. Um, I was really slow. I look back on the way that I used to write code versus, like, back in the Unity, like, C-sharp days, I was, like, literally mm. clicking around, like, click to the next line, type in a few words. I Even back then, I think I was, like, a, a peck typer, you know, like, two finger, mm. two index fingers, like, pecking for key. Mm. Yeah. The amount of, like, back then, a lot of programming was, like, so much overhead mentally of, like, even, like, hands like moving things and 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 uh, uh like selecting lines so much mental overhead in those things just for browsing even whereas now i just don't have that overhead at all and it just makes mm. me and my brain work better because i don't have those like i don't have any impedance to finding a file like to find a file is is built into my hands and it's never going to change yeah. and if i need if i am fully required to swap to another tool like let's say uh, Vim isn't supported necessarily in IntelliJ, right? Mm. Uh, and I need to use it for uh, Kotlin because there's no good language server. I would still probably yeah. configure IntelliJ, spend the one day to save myself, you know, weeks and weeks of time over the course of a year of needing to like hunt and peck and find shortcuts and everything. So, Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
but the like I, there, there's trade-offs. Like uh, the downside is people who pair with me are confused and scared <laughs> and feel alone and very impressed. <laughs> well, there's like a there's a sense of awe temporarily, and then a sense of frustration sometimes uh, from other people. <laughs> yeah. Like, can you slow down, please? What file are you in? <laughs> Whereas it, yeah. it's so natural to me, like the way that I navigate text. It's it's literally my hands navigate text. I, I don't know. That's not the right way to say it, but it's an extension of me. Like my editor, editor itself is an extension of me. It's and like being at the whiteboard with the pen in your hand. Yeah. And then I watch other people program sometimes. And I, when I invert, so people who pair with me, um, what do you call it? Driving. They, mm. that, that's the scared and confused. But I, when I pair in the opposite direction, I'm amazed, like genuinely shocked at how slow people are because they haven't adopted. And I'm not like, you know, upset with them, but like, I feel like everything is slowed down by a hundred X, you know? So for me, but I feel like my brain in, in terms of the speed of how much code I can output, the limit is not on my text editor and keyboard. The limit is on my brain. That's a misconception. I think that's a misconception though. And that's something that's touched on in every Vim article and book typically is you don't write that much code. Uh, you write a very small amount of code, maybe like a hundred lines. A hundred lines a day is pretty generous for a lot of companies. What you really do is you read a lot of code. So the ability to navigate and have no mental impedance, having you know no blocks, having to remember what the hotkey for something, or like right clicking and finding it in the menu and remembering, oh, it's in the file menu, not in the edit menu. Uh, like adds up a lot because you spend 99% of your actual coding time just reading other people's code. So mm-hmm. my workflow isn't optimized for inserting text. It's optimized for uh, finding text and, and searching, uh, grepping, and like uh, even editing other people's text with like macros yeah. and, and, and regular expressions. I'll take your point. Because especially when I was doing the work in the back end recently, it's pretty much the first time of late where I've actually started using the, the VS code, like command P to search for a file. Yeah. Cause I used to just scroll up and down and in small code bases, it was okay. But now our code base is so big that it's a it's, tree. Yeah. It's yeah. It's just like, <laughs> like, I can't remember the names of everything either. So it's just like, just search for it. So yeah, maybe I am getting at the point where I might benefit from moving more towards that style now. Mm. It's a long-term investment though as well. Like I looked at it as I was like, you know, early twenties and uh, I'm going to be do. I'm not going to be in management almost certainly. I feel <laughs> I just get this vibe from my personality. Um, so for me, too dismissive. yeah, way too dismissive. Oh, this is now someone's going to know what that means. Uh <laughs> But I, I like I know that I'm going to be using the I want to find a tool that I can use for, you know, the 30 years of my life until I'm probably 60 and my yep. hands get arthritis that I'm going to be using. So yeah. I figured if I spend one year and I get to use that for another 29 years, I think that's that's well worth the effort. And the amount of configuring, that, so, so the first year that I was setting all this stuff up, the first time that I was sort of getting into it, there was a lot to learn. And it probably took me a full year to get into the basics of it. But now I don't edit almost any of my configuration at all. Mm. Like it's, 
I have, and when there's a little, when there's a rough edge, it's like a 10 minute tweak and then it's back to being as fast as possible. Adding a language, 10 minute tweak, back to being as fast as possible. I need to make a meme of, of, because this has happened so many times where you'll tell me about Vim and the uh, like productivity improvements. And by the end of it, I'm convinced every time I'm like, yes, Vim is the way I need to do it. And then the next day comes and I'm like, Okay, just VS Code one more day. I mean, like, yeah, that's fine. It's like it's the exact same. It happens Look every at, time. Um, like. But the thing is, if you're going to stick to VS Code, admit that you'll stick to VS Code. Find a set of key bindings that work for you. So pick, be, have intention with the tools that you're using. You don't have to use Vim. Yeah. Vim is not the answer for everyone. Uh, mm. Potentially, uh, not everyone even has two hands. So you know, obviously, it's, yeah. <laughs> it might not work out. Um, <laughs> but have intention with your tool and actually learn the tool. So if you're sticking with VS Code, actually like invest the time, write like cheat sheets of what the hotkeys are, memorize the hotkeys. So how do people play? So I used to be into RTSs like StarCraft, and this is probably one of the reasons why I'm so into the hotkeys and everything and like mm-hmm. like APM sort of stuff, which is actions per minute. Um, if you like, if you have a tool they're like i can guarantee you you're not using but like four hotkeys more than likely that's what almost everyone does they remember command s they remember uh uh what like command p for search i'll tell you the ones i'll tell you the ones i've got i've got like one that will remove a full line yeah one that will select every word yeah in in command command a or whatever command d okay yeah yep and then um and then that's it, like the basic command F to find and command P to look up a file. And oh, I've got a few, um, actually, I've got some snippets, some shorthand snippets for like React use state and like anonymous functions and X, like all the yeah. JavaScript stuff that you write all the time. I've got, yeah. I've got um, snippets for that. And then that's pretty much it. The things I write all the time, I've got shortcuts for, and then everything else, I just type it. Yeah. But even like, okay, how do you go from your uh, your input, so the open file, to the uh, to the explorer, right? How do you add a new yeah. file? What's the process for that? More than likely, oh, that's really annoying. You're that's breaking been annoying flow. Lately. Oh, you're exactly right. I need and to then, fix that one. So figure out what the hockey is in your environment to do that. Yeah. Uh, and if that's you, actually that's actually caught me it's up. Normally, so command in as an aside uh, most of the time, <laughs> but. Uh, like once you know that, if you have a, if you'll if you look at the preferences setting for like VS Code or IntelliJ, they all have like a set of like standard. So there's like one for even IntelliJ has like oh, do you want to use the Sublime key mappings? Those yeah. people who've used Sublime and actually like invested time in memorizing the hotkeys, it's not like their investment is gone. They've yeah. just like moved the hotkeys and there might be some differences in the way those tools are implemented but those hotkeys are still there and if you can remember our command in is new file and command s is save and command three is explore right Mm. you can then configure if you need to use another editor take the first day at your job to like set up those hotkeys to those to those places if you if they're really going to force you to use an editor as an aside Mm. no one has ever forced me to use an editor if I can prove that I'm as productive or more productive than people using the fancy editors, everyone is more than happy to leave me. So we need to talk about maybe not this episode, but um, the dedicated editor environments where you like remote into a code editor and 
you don't actually do it on your own machine. Yeah, I mean, I use Vim, so it's SSH uh, with a Linux command line. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty easy. What about those? What about those like environments where I've seen one? I, I think AWS has one like that. Um, if we're talking about Vim, Cloud Cloud Nine, like yeah. you know, Cloud Nine, how it's like a service where all those things can just source your actual configuration. Um, as an aside, like oh, okay. all of those, you could actually configure in the same way. Most of them will have uh, like some some way to even rem- like if you, I, I host my, uh, I think I have a VS code config somewhere hosted on my GitHub and I have my IntelliJ config cause I use, in, I've, I've had to use IntelliJ and VS code cause uh, Java is sometimes integrated directly into your IDE, right? I have those stored in GitHub and anytime I need to use those tools, I have like I, I do space SF is search files for me and that's mapped in every editor I use. So even if I go to, to to VS Code, I'm still faster than everyone else because I know the hotkeys. Mm-hmm. Either way, so yeah. you won't lose it. All of the remote ones, you can still use your config. Just learn your tool and make it sharper. That's it. You don't have hit to learn a music. new tool. Oh, hit the music! I don't know which button is it. Is it this one? <laughs> yes. Oh, there you go. Well, I feel like that was a good. A good way to finish the episode. Learn your tool and they make it tip. sharp. Yeah, that sharp was like tools. A snippet that could go that could go viral. Will it go viral? Probably not. <laughs> it could. I'll tweet it to my seven Twitter followers. Have you got seven? You got more than me. Really? I I have no idea. Well, follow me on Twitter. I don't post <laughs> there. Get the twitters up. Twitter yeah. is a trash fire, and I hate it. So don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Come at to Discord, but at James Apple Dev. Hmm. What are you, Frank? Uh, at Full Stack Frank. Oh, Full Stack Frank. Wow. Yeah, yeah I'm Full Stack developer. I believe you, Full Stack. Yeah. And uh, do we have any like things to say to people? You've got nine followers, by the way. Thanks for joining. Oh, do I? Oh, wow. Yeah, pretty famous. Um, thanks for joining us, everyone. It's been great. Lovely to catch up with everyone. Come say hi on the Discord channel. Yes. Server. Discord server. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, I must hit leave on Zoom. That was the wrong button.